This is Darrell Lalia, and you're listening to episode 2525 of the Before the Millions podcast. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the cash flow ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what's good btm community we're back for another episode and i'm glad that you guys can join us on this this just an insightful super insightful episode on on today's show we are speaking with entrepreneur and business credit expert ty crandall and Ty has been in the financial space for over 16 years, and he's widely recognized as an authority in business credit, credit building, business credit scoring, business financing. He's the author of two books, and he literally just kind of walks us through his life, guys. But most importantly, he explains to us some some key concepts, one of which is how to fix damage credit quickly. And this can be a personal credit or business credit. He also shows us and explains to us a few secrets for getting approved for a business loan and how to obtain business loans and credit lines, even when the bank says no. So again, guys, you're going to love the show. If you don't know what business credit is, you're going to learn exactly what business credit is and how you can use business credit to start or to jumpstart your business. I took a trip to Dallas a few days ago from Austin and I came down for a workshop and the workshop is titled how to win funds and influence people. It's a playoff of the Dale Carnegie book, how to win friends and influence people. The workshop is really a workshop that's fundamentally based on how to help people solve their problems. So again, I, I went into this with the notion that I'd probably get a few good nuggets that I can implement in my life and my business. But what I walked away with was a plethora of actionable steps and information. I mean, I, I've seen people who have attended that conference or that workshop four times in a row. They do it twice a year. The real estate guys actually, Russell Gray is actually the host of the workshop and I'm definitely going to be revisiting. So if you guys want to kind of check that out, again, this is not a plug. I'm not a sponsor or anything, but I definitely think that that workshop gave me tremendous value. If you're looking in sales and that's that's a part of your business that's struggling or not, this is something that you can apply vastly. I mean, it's teaching you skills, techniques, fundamentals, things that that's going to help you and you and your partners or you and your investors connect on a better level. So I'd highly recommend checking that out. Also, today is going to be a busy day, guys. I have interviewed in the past week, I've interviewed about six guests, six upcoming guests on the show, maybe seven now. I have another interview late this afternoon, but I've interviewed about six guests and I'm trying to batch all of those, all of those episodes today. So 
I'll kind of have my plate full for the next few days, but that's because I'm looking to take quite a few trips over the next few weeks and I don't want to have to worry about whether or not I'm going to have enough time to put out another episode. Let's move on to the tip of the week. And for you guys that don't know, the tip of the week is a tip that I come across, whether that's through something I'm reading, that's through a workshop that I'm attending, that's just through happenstance and and an idea pops into my head at the gym, wherever and whenever I come up with a tip, I will pull out my phone and record that. So it's not always going to be in front of a mic, but will always be relevant to this audience. And hopefully it's a tip that you can immediately implement in your business and it'll prove to be fruitful. So with that being said, let's get to this week's tip of the week. DeRay's tip of the week. Okay, guys. So holiday season is upon us. That means that sales are going through the roof, depending on what industry you're in. And this is a perfect time to start capitalizing. So if you haven't already, Black Friday is around the corner. If you haven't already, there are little tweaks and and things that you can implement directly to your on-page website and you can possibly see substantial results. So just make sure that you're catering to the time of the year it is. If you have, if you know that Black Friday is coming up, which it is, then throw on a hello bar on your website. If you have a Shopify site, if you have a WordPress site, whatever product or service that you're selling, have, have a Black Friday sale. A hello bar is a bar that kind of it's a small little, maybe half an inch bar that kind of follows you everywhere you go, but it's at the top of your webpage. And an example, hello bar is Black Friday sale, 20% off plus free shipping and a coupon code BLKFRI, something like that. And it'll kind of just follow the user on your website everywhere they go. So it's at the top of their mind. Another thing you can do is create a click pop. Now what a click pop is, again, this is for your website depending on what kind of product or service you're offering, what a click pop is, is something that it's almost like a screencast. So it covers the screen, it covers your webpage and it pops out and it's like, it's a, it's more of an opt-in form. So it asks for your email address and your, your name and things like that. But the purpose of this click pop is to acquire like contact information or to acquire the contact information for your ideal customer. So that way they, that way you're able to send them your Black Friday deals or your Thanksgiving deals or your Christmas deals. So make sure that you are capitalizing on the season because this season can be very profitable for your business. And that is this week's tip of the week, guys. And now your feature presentation. Today, I'd like to welcome Ty Crandall to the show. Hey, Ty, how's it going? Good, how are you? Doing pretty well. Super excited to have you on the show. Just a little bit about Ty, if you don't know who he is. Ty is an internationally known speaker, author, and business credit and finance expert. Ty is the CEO of Credit Suite, where he oversees the biggest business credit coaching operation in the United States. Ty, how do you know it's the biggest? Well, there's nobody even close to what we do. We're pretty blessed. We've got a really cool niche to what we do. And the other companies, there's only a few others out there that do business credit. They're fairly small companies, and we're actually the only company with a full-blown coaching division anyway. So when you're the only one that even has really coaching, you kind of know that you're the biggest. (laughs) I love it, love it, love it. I'm just teasing you. Well, Ty, let's take it back. Let's hop in the time machine. Let's figure out who Ty was back then, and how did your entrepreneurial journey come about? So maybe let's take it back to college days and work our way up. 
Sure. Even going back further than that, when I was in school, my parents worked really, really hard. And I, I never, I'm so appreciative of what they were able to do, but they worked so much that they just weren't around. They were constantly working. My dad worked in the evenings. He worked in the weekends. So they didn't really get a real active chance to be part of a lot of aspects of our life just because they were working so hard. And so I decided then that when I got older that I wanted to have some kind of freedom and probably own a business where I could come and go at will and then be able to be there for my kids and spend that time with them that my parents didn't get any, weren't able to because they were working so hard. So that's really, I think, what I had the, the first interest in, in running a business when I was younger. And then I went from high school into the military. I was going into the medical field. I took a lot of medical courses in college, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. But I was going to school to be a physician assistant. And before I made the final commitment, you have to not work for three years, which is hard for me because I, I love the work. And at that point, I kind of got in and tested a sales job out over the summer. And I was making more money in sales than I would have graduated college making. So that with me was a real big game changer. And it was a real big shift in my life. And I decided to kind of check sales out. And then that just kind of took me down a path that eventually led to me getting into finance and eventually led me to getting into owning my own finance companies. I love that, Ty. And you mentioned something that I think a lot of the listeners can relate to and I can relate to. Well, you had this major catalyst moment in your life, and it seems as though you were able to kind of reflect upon the things that your parents did. And you were kind of able to take that in and realize that, hey, I don't want to be able, I don't want to have to work for the rest of my life. I want to achieve some sort of lifestyle design in my life. And that's, that's the entrepreneurial goal that I'm looking towards, that I'm looking for. But yet and still, you still went down the path of going to school and, and looking to become a physician's assistant, even though you kind of had this plan. And again, it's something that I see that most of us go through. We have this, we have this idea of what we want to do, but all of our actions don't necessarily follow that, that ideal. So where do you think the disconnect was? And when, did you, when were you finally able to get back in line with, with your ultimate goal? When I was in high school, I just, I still don't understand how people go right from high school to deciding what they want to do for the rest of their life and choosing a career in college and being successful. That's just never seemed to work. I mean, most of my friends that went to college have changed majors. On average, the amount of times that kids change majors is substantial. And all my college, all my friends that I can think about top of my head that went to school for one thing ended up changing to do something else. So I was very good young, being young, just looking at things from the outside in and saying, man, that doesn't make sense or what's the best way to do this. So I grew up in a small town and in my town, everybody talks about leaving and never does. I didn't want to be that person. So I looked at what caused that. And I realized that people went to college, they stayed somewhat close to home or they went and got jobs and became reliant on the income and weren't able to move forward. The military helped me because it took me away and it forced me to be away. So then by the time I got out, I was used to it. I could live wherever I wanted. That was my plan. And it worked out exactly as I'd planned. So when I went in the military, it helped me figure out what I wanted to do. I was exposed to medicine. I absolutely love medicine. Although my brain doesn't work the way that you really need it to work to be a doctor. You just, lawyers and doctors, I love those professions, but you have to have such levels of memorization and recall that my brain just never really worked that way. And it was more difficult than I, than I think that I had thought it would be. And when I looked at that career, I said, I can have the money I want. I can do something I love. But doctors work all the time. PAs work all the time. The schooling is grueling. The hours are grueling. And so when I looked at those things, I just said, this really just isn't for me. And at that time, I didn't really, I still didn't have, didn't have the thought of running a business because I didn't have something I was passionate enough about enough to run a business. 
And so then that just kind of led me down the path where I got into sales, did really well, traveled a lot, had a blast in my early 20s. And then it just got old. I, I knew I wanted to have a family. I knew I wanted to get off the road. And several of my friends were in the mortgage industry at the time. And it made sense. It was, it was sales. It was finance. It, it sounded really cool. I'd spent a lot of time with them and it seemed like an environment I would enjoy being in. So I got into mortgages and I just loved it. And again, I hadn't really thought about owning my own mortgage company until the guys I were working with just really started to kind of mistreat me and take for granted that they had a, a really big producer under them. And then that's when I just said, what would life be like if I owned my own? And realized it would be much in the same. Doing what I was doing as a mortgage broker wouldn't have been that much different from running my own mortgage company, doing the same thing, just helping. I was already managing people at this business. I was already teaching them. I was already training them. So I made the jump and it really wasn't that much different than what I was used to at the time. So that's kind of my course of kind of where I went from having an early interest in knowing I wanted to kind of make my own life all the way to actually deciding to be a business owner. What would you say was a major catalyst for you to change from sales to the mortgage industry? Because you said you were doing fine. You, you, you were living the life that you wanted at the time and, and that everything was peaches and roses. But I guess there was some calling or there was some, there was some moment or maybe there was some, some person. What was that that kind of had you change your mindset and go into I had an amazing life. I was in my mid-20s. I had a, a gig where we traveled around the country and did auto sales. And I did the financing for these. And it was amazing. I mean, I was 24, 25 to go to Seattle one week and then Dallas the next. And then you're in Pittsburgh the next. For a single guy in the mid-20s, it was like the dream job. And I loved it. But eventually I got to a point where I was like, I'm not going to do this forever. I know that. And I just kind of got sick of traveling. I just kind of made the decision that at that point, money and that stuff, it just wasn't my priority. Fun was my priority. And then I just got to a level where I'd always made a commitment that I was, by the time I was 30, I, I was going to probably be in the job I was going to be in for the rest of my life or the career. And so I was coming up to that. It was in my late 20s. And I said, I just, I don't want to do this. I don't really want to travel anymore. And I wouldn't do this job fixed at some location. What makes it fun is the traveling. And so that was when I just really started looking for something I could do to build a career in that had everything I was good at naturally that was a good fit and that could get me off the road to start a family and start diving in and becoming serious about a career. And that's why I decided mortgages. I was just around people that were in that field and it seemed really cool because I like to sell and close. They were selling and closing at a really high level. And so it just seemed really appealing for me, which is why I made the leap. At different inflection points in your life, you were able to figure out exactly who you were and what type of person you were. You had, you had an inflection point in which you figured out that you weren't the type of person that was able to cram a ton of information at one time, but you realized that you were a good salesman later on and you realized some of the things that you were good at. So what, I guess, what kind of advice can you give to some of our listeners kind of looking to figure out exactly what they need to do and how they need to do it? How were you able to figure out some of your strengths and some of your weaknesses? I think it's a real growing process. And I think as you develop, it's important to, to realize who you are. And I studied a lot. I read a lot about personality profiling, and there's a lot of different types of things that I dove into education-wise to help me really understand myself. And those things are important because when you start learning about personality profiling, for example, 
you really realize that, wow, I, I'm not the only one that thinks this way and acts this way. I'm one of a group of people that think and act. And it helps you get a better grasp for what your strengths and weaknesses really are. And you kind of realize that it's not even an individual thing in a lot of cases. It's almost just like a personality type thing. And I still learn that today. I think you're always progressing and you're always learning. It's just you have to be really observant when you own a business and when you're trying to get into owning a business. You just have to be really observant. I think one of the best quotes I heard, and I, I give it to Tony Robbins, but he stole it from somebody else that I don't know who it was, which is that opportunity or, or success happens when opportunity meets preparation. And I read that at a really young age, and that really stuck with me, and it made me realize that in life, I'm going to be presented the opportunities I want, especially if I'm so focused on the end goal of what I want. The opportunities to get that goal will present themselves, but if you're not prepared to take advantage of those opportunities, then that's where your failure comes in. And for me, I just really looked at a lot of weird things as signs and took action just ridiculous action in situations that kind of seemed absurd. Like when I was in, in the military, I was in Ohio, and I literally just decided to move to Florida on a whim because I'd met three people that just moved from Florida, and three of my friends just moved to Florida. And just for that reason alone, I said, well, that seems a lot of Florida going on in my life. And just completely abruptly at a stoplight one day, made the decision, walked in, gave my notice, and left. And those were the type of things that I've just done a lot of is try to be observant of kind of what life is throwing my way and look at those opportunities and take advantage of as many of them as I can. And I think the development and growth side, it just kind of happens as you go. I'm a really good implementer. And so I recognized that early and then I mastered that craft. I realized how to use to-do lists and how to develop execution lists that can help me implement at a high level. But I never thought of myself as a visionary. And then I became head of a company that started growing very large, very fast. And it was my vision that had the guide. And so then I, you know, dove in and realized I'm actually more of a visionary than I thought I was. So I just think you constantly are learning about your strengths and weaknesses as you go. You just have to be observant of what's going on around you. I love that, Ty. I love that so much. So let's progress down your journey a little bit further. You were a part of this mortgage company and then you decided to, to take a leap of faith and, and become entrepreneurial. What was your first entrepreneurial journey? Well, I opened my own mortgage company. So I worked for these guys and it was just a crazy, it was a crazy world. My buddy and I were by far the top producers. Two of us accounted for 90% of what the office did. And I came in for my honeymoon and they laid a non-compete down and said, sign by the end of the day or you're out of here. And just the way they would treat me as a top producer and a, and a trainer of their people just really almost got to be insulting. And so then I remember I, I, I signed the non-compete against my will. I did not want to do it. And then they, I said, my biggest concern is you guys will change my pay. Well, less than 60 days later, they lowered my pay for no reason. And to me, it was like, I'm out of here. I, I don't need to do this. I'm not getting paid to manage all of your people and train them and I'm doing it. And there doesn't seem to be appreciation with the actions they're taking. So I just decided to do my own. I'd made a bunch of money. I had a bunch of money. And so I went out and I opened my own mortgage company and it worked really well. I mean, right from the beginning, it was just hugely successful but it was a peak of the mortgage industry where everything was so easy to be successful in that industry. And then I wrote it too long and the whole thing collapsed and it was a real life learning lesson for me because I went from being in my 20s and having a you know, $100,000 Mercedes and a massive five bedroom house with just my wife and I. I mean, I had this lifestyle that I always dreamed of and accomplished it at a really young age. And then in a minute, it was just gone. I mean, my pay was cut 90%. 
all the money I'd saved, it just goes so quick when you're not making the money. And I was frozen. I just did not have another solution to get in there and make that kind of money doing anything else. And so it was a real, it was a real shock. I mean, I ended up losing everything through that experience. It was my book. That experience changed the way that I'll view business forever. I love that. That's amazing. And I think that those experiences are what define us. So let's, I'm assuming this is, this is around the 2008 crash. So let's talk about your worst entrepreneurial moment to date and how you were able to uplift yourself and get out of that. Well, that by far was it for me. It was in a situation where I remember having to move out of our house because it was getting foreclosed on and watching a car towed away on a flatbed truck as they repossessed it. I mean, I remember them turning off our power because we didn't have money in the account. I remember trying to pass bad checks to get the power turned back on. It was just, we had to go to my wife's parents to get the money to pay our electric bills. It was just the most embarrassing time and the hardest time of my life, not having ability to support my family. It was a really hard experience. And so when I went through that, I opened a consumer credit company and it really did change my life because I stopped working for money and started working for a purpose. And it sounds cliche, but it really did. When I really understood pain and suffering at that level and then looked around me and realized a lot of other people were struggling as well, I think it's the first time I really started doing things for other people than myself when it comes to business. And that was just a big change change for me. And I started in the consumer credit repair space next to help people recover because my credit was trashed and I knew a lot of other people would suffer from the same thing. And what was mind blowing in the whole thing was it was just, it was really hard. I went from a business where it was really easy to a business where it was really hard. And I learned things like email sequences and funnels and follow-up and all the thing that we built our current business on, I learned going through those struggles. But along the way that I discovered business credit, my customers asked me about it. And I, when I realized what it was, it just was a complete game changer to me because I realized I would have not had to personally guarantee everything in my business and I wouldn't have had to gone through all this. The reason I went down personally is because I guaranteed everything in my business thinking that was the only way. Business went down, I went down with it. The money wasn't in my bank account that day because the creditors I owed for the business took the money out of my personal accounts and they had the ability to do that. So it was just a real mind-blowing experience and I realized that, wow, Here's this thing that could have saved me. I never knew about it. Most others don't know about it. So I want to be the guy out there that's telling everybody about this, what it is, how it works. So that's kind of my course. And it really has. I would not give that experience up for anything as painful as it was because the best things that I have now come from the struggles that I went through at that time. The things that drive me now come from never wanting to be in that place again. There's just something about your back being against the wall and really having to scrap that just makes you a scrapper. It's what makes you strong. And I don't think you can have that strength unless you go through those downtimes. That's amazing. I love that so much. And I, often I find with a lot of the entrepreneurs that, that I have on the show is there was a point in their life in which they were going through some, some dramatic, some type of pain, some pain point. And you're along those same lines in which you had a pain and you were able to solve that pain or solve that problem. And then you wanted to pass that forward because you felt that other people were experiencing it. And those are often the entrepreneurs that I see, at least that I see in this world that are successful, people who are able to solve a pain or solve a problem. So that's amazing. And I can't wait to kind of get into the whole business credit discussion, but really, really quick, we're still progressing down your timeline. 
And before that, you helped people repair their, their personal credit. So let's maybe give, give some of the listeners a couple pointers or a couple tips to help them repair their personal credit. What, what are some of the things that really just stand out to you in the industry? Some things that people can immediately do today or over the next month or so that'll help them repair their credit. Well, I think the first thing to do is you have to understand how your credit scores work. And it's not hard. You could type in FICO score model, and there's all kinds of infographics that show the breakdown of your score. And that really helps you. I'm a math guy. So when I can see the math aspects of every, the percentage of the score that accounts for different things, it's easier to know what to focus on that you can control. Knowing utilization is 30% of your score, well, then it becomes common sense to keep your balances low in relation to your limits. And that one thing can really, really, really help boost scores. But some of my easiest, the most basic tips is that if you have derogatory items on your credit report, dispute them. The law says everything on the credit report has to be 100% accurate and verifiable. And you may say, well, yeah, look, it says I went late on Chase. I went late on Chase. But that's not the point. The point is there's just these little nuances of data that creditors that change and they manipulate that hurts the score more, more adversely than it should. And when you challenge them and you make them verify it, then in almost all cases, they immediately delete it when they've got one of those violations. So I found just by disputing accounts for different reasons to make them verify compliance accounted for 80 to 90% of anything that's derogatory getting deleted. So maybe you did go late on Chase, but there's a little code here or there that probably is wrong. And if it's wrong, the law says it can't be on your credit report. So dispute everything that's inaccurate or verifiable that you believe to be. And if they, if they verify it, they dispute it for another reason and keep it until you feel confident that everything on there is exactly as it should be. And most of the time it's not. Second thing is, is that open up, open up new positive credit. There's an account called My Jewelers Club. My Jewelers Club will give you like a $5,000 credit line that you could use. So that's a great account for credit rebuilding, secure credit cards. Adding available credit to your credit report through credit cards is really an invaluable thing you could do to boost your score. So if you're disputing your derogatory items and adding revolving credit, those two, and keeping your balances low in relation to your limits, those things can make dramatic differences to your consumer scores. I love that. I love that. And I know the answer to this, but I want you to explain it more for our listeners. Now, now there are listeners out there that are thinking, wait, every time I open up a new credit card, that dings my credit score, my credit score goes down. So I don't understand this whole process in which I'm supposed to be adding credit, but it's, it's sure. hurting your credit score. Can you walk me well, through Well, that? that's part of understanding the math of the credit score. 30% of your credit score is utilization and 10% inquiries. So you can't be concerned about putting the inquiry on your credit, which affects 10% of your score to add something that's going to impact and improve 30% of your score. And so that's why I say that one of the most important things everybody listening wants to do is go and look at what controls your score. Because when you just understand the math of the FICO, then you'll know where to put your most attention. And the math of the FICO is that 35% of your score's payment history, 30% utilization, 65% of your entire score is those two factors. So if you work on those two factors and those two factors alone, you're probably going to get a pretty good score. And so that's why inquiries really don't lower your score. Groupings of inquiries does. So if you go apply for something today, it's not going to hurt your score. But if you apply for 10 credit cards today, it will. So don't be afraid to go apply for one or two credit cards, but do be responsible enough not to apply for eight or 10. It's the eight or 10 that will actually start lowering your score. And then it hurts you even more if you're applying and getting denied. If the bureaus don't pick up or FICO doesn't pick up, there's a new account open relative to the inquiry and they see you're putting a bunch of inquiries on in and not opening up the accounts equivalently, 
then that can lower the score. So again, it's just math. Don't be afraid to do something that affects 10% of your score to do something to improve 30% of your five count. Love that. One final question in this whole realm of, of credit and credit scores. So let's just say you have credit cards that you no longer use. I guess, what's your prognosis in that area? Some people say you should go ahead and, and cut those credit cards and close the account. Some people say, which I'm an advocate for, you should leave that account open as long as there's no annual fee. What do, what do you think that we should do? Well, if there's no annual fee, you definitely want to leave it open. I mean, the third biggest factor of your credit score is called length of credit history. And length of credit history has to do with your over your oldest account you have on record and the average age of all accounts you have on record. So again, it's just math. When you come in and you shut down a long-standing account, you're adversely affecting the third biggest aspect of the FICO score. You can't get that back. Of all the things in your FICO score, the one thing you really cannot control is length of credit history. You either have it or you don't, and you can't, you can't do anything. You can't go back and add accounts that add more history. So it's really harmful when you close those accounts if there's no adverse consequence or there's no adversity and reason to do it like an annual fee because you can't get it back. You can't get back that account history, and there's nothing else you could add to get that account history back. Love that. Love that. Love that. So moving on a little bit further, Ty, down your path. So you started this company and, I, and my, it was doing well. So what prompted the switch? What prompted you to move on from that? The consumer credit company was doing well and it was my first successful exit. It was the first company I built that I was able to sell. And it just what happened with me is that the minute I found business credit, I really became passionate about it. I loved small business. I loved owning a business. I loved everything about it. I'm that kind of guy where no matter who I talk to, if they own a business, I'm like, what do you do? Like, I own a business doing this. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, and then they tell me about it and I instantly want to go do whatever it is that they're doing. And so I just love that. I love business. I love to hear about people and how they take concepts and ideas and turn it into a big business. And then I want to do everything they describe. I'm like, I'm going to quit what I do and do what you do because that's awesome. So this gave me an opportunity, business credit, to be around a bunch of other business owners, learn about what they're doing and actually help be part of them growing their own business by helping them get the money to do so. It was really rewarding for me. And I really just kind of bumped in and found my passion and then it was just a dangerous place to be. I owned a consumer credit company. I had lost interest in consumer credit. And then I had this huge interest in business credit. And it just wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to my team. It wasn't fair to our customers to stay at the helm of a company I wasn't truly passionate about. So we added business credit. Our sales went through the roof. And we had several offers to buy. And I just decided to go ahead and sell the business and go full-blown into the business credit side. That's amazing. And again, the more we talk about your journey, the more I understand and I realize you have this keen sense of what fulfills you and what you're good at and, and what doesn't. And as soon as you recognize something that either you're not good at or it doesn't fulfill you, you immediately try to find a way to exit. So that's a, a, an attribute that I've seen numerous times throughout your life. So that's amazing. So now we're at the business credit stage. So what is business credit and, and who is business credit for? Can anybody apply for business credit? When do I know that I should be applying for business credit? Sure. So Business credit's ultimately credit for a business. It's, it's credit that a business has that's linked to its EIN. So you're obviously familiar with your consumer credit links, your social. Well, what people don't realize is that businesses have their own credit profile and score that's linked to that business EIN. And once you start building business credit, then that's really the key to getting a bunch of money for your business without them pulling your personal credit, without providing a personal guarantee, without the personal liability. So it's really used much the same as consumer credit is. You get used consumer credit to get credit cards 
mortgages and auto loans and other kind of loans. Business credit is exactly the same thing for a business. It helps businesses get credit cards, loans, real estate. It even, you can even get auto vehicle financing without a personal guarantee, without a personal credit check using business credit. So that's basically what it is. Credit for an EIN that's not linked to the personal owner social, doesn't require a personal guarantee, doesn't require a personal credit check. And it's really the key to in the beginning stages starting to get two, three, four, five, ten. $20,000 individual limit credit card accounts for your business without the liability or the personal credit connection. Love that. Let's talk about, I guess, two different industries. Let's talk about how to attain business credit for maybe a real estate investor, somebody looking to purchase property and how to attain business credit for, let's say, an online business owner, somebody who runs a blog or somebody who has a, a store online or somebody who sure. operates their brokerage firm or their or whatever it is that their industry is in online. Let's let's talk about those two those two realms. Well business credit's gonna primarily be both the same for both of how it's obtained. It's just a matter of what people are going to use it for. So if you're running an online business, then you're concerned with you're gonna want computer credit at Dell and Apple and Best Buy because you've got an online business, you're obviously going to need computers, software, equipment that goes with your computers, printers, etc. You're gonna need Office Depot, you're gonna need Staples and Amazon and Walmart. You're going to be more of a, it, it, depending on what industry you're in, more of an office type atmosphere. So the type of credit you're going to want is going to be different. If you're a real estate investor, then you're not caring about Staples credit cards. You want a Lowe's, you want a Home Depot, you want a Sears, you want a labor ready. You care about the materials to do fix and flips. You care about getting the actual labor to help you do fix and flips. Both you get Visa and MasterCards to use to buy the stuff you can't use regular store credit cards for, but that's really what it is. Most of what you do need a money need money for to fund a business, you can get at Amazon, you can get at Walmart. If you're a real estate investor, you get at Lowe's or Home Depot. If you're on an online office environment, you get at Staples Office Depot. Business credit gives you the two, four, five, 10, 20. We've even seen $75,000 individual limit accounts to buy all those type of things you need. And then the Visa and MasterCard accounts you can't. Like to buy the stuff you can. Then it comes down to loans. You know, there's a lot of loans available. So there's loans for real estate investors specifically. There's a lot of loans that work then to help them get the money to buy the initial property. Whereas working into like an online business, then you're going to get different kind of loans that are going to be available because you have a different kind of structure. So different loans are available based on the different types of industry you mentioned. Business credit building is fundamentally the same, but what the owners use the credit for is going to be different because their needs are different. Definitely, definitely. So I guess kind of talking about first steps in, into getting business credit is first you need an EIN. So you need you need to register your business. You need to have a legitimate business. So let's let's get that in place. That's first. So secondly, what are some things that you should get in order before you go apply for business credit? Well, the first thing to know is that all credit issuers have a secret set of standards. And we all understand this. We've applied for credit cards. We've got instant approvals. We've applied for credit cards. We've got the dreaded, you'll hear by mail in seven to 10 days. And that's never, for me, it's never been an approval of what comes in seven to 10 days. So it's the same thing is that when you go to apply for a business credit card, a commercial credit card on Amazon, let's say, well, their computers are searching for different things and checking your application against different standards. If you meet the standards, you get approved. If you don't, you get pushed to a manual review, usually ends up decline. So the first thing is to know and accept the fact that lenders and credit issuers have these set of standards. And before you start applying for anything, you should know and understand what they are. And the easiest way to do that is just to look at what you put on an application. You know, do you have a business name that reflects you're in a high risk industry? Do you have a real business address or are you using a dreaded UPS or PO box address, which will immediately get you declined? 
making sure you have a website, a professional email address, not a Yahoo or a Google type email address or, or AOL type email address, making sure you're using a real business phone or a voice over IP, not a mobile phone, not a home phone on your application. Get a fax number, get a toll free number, get your phone number listed with 411. Make sure that all the stuff you put on an application is the same as what's online. Don't have a different name and address on your application that's different than with your Secretary of State records. Because what's happening is these credit computers are automatically cross-checking that data. And if they see that your information doesn't match what's in the Secretary of State, they can't link the data together. It's one of the common reasons for denial. So set up that credibility. The second step is once you've done so, then go do a free check. We've got a place on our website, creditsuite.com forward slash reports. That's creditsuite.com forward slash reports where you can go and do a free search with Dun & Bradstreet, Equifax, and Experian to see if they have any file you know, created for you already. Not as essential if you're brand new, but if you've been in business even for months, you need to check it because in our world, in the commercial world, Experian and Equifax will populate a credit report for you even if you have no credit. And they'll give you a failing score and the score will be low because you lack credit. So you want to see if they know anything about you now. And while you're on that step, get your free Dunn's number with Dunn and Bradstreet as well. And then start getting new positive credit that reports to the reporting agencies. If you have good credit, well, then you can guarantee accounts that report the DMB Equifax Experian and have high limits. You can get up to 150,000 and 0% financing and build your business with credit at the same time. Fantastic way to go. If you don't have good credit or don't want to provide a guarantee, then go to Uline, go to Quill, go to Monopolize Your Marketplace, go to places like that that are vendors that report to the reporting agencies that will approve you even if you have no prior credit and they won't do credit checks and get credit with them. Whichever path you go, get five accounts. Once you have five accounts reporting on your business credit reports, then you can start getting credit at most major retail stores, Office Depot, Lowe's, Sam's Club, Costco, Walmart, Amazon. I mean, almost all major retailers offer this kind of business credit. And then once you get 10 accounts, you can start getting fleet credit for auto vehicle repairs, maintenance, fuel, cash credit, Visa, MasterCards, auto vehicle financing, those type of things. So in our world, it's all about how many trade lines or accounts you have reporting to the business credit reporting agencies. If you follow those steps and then monitor your credit to actually watch those to get added, that's really the key to being successful and building a corporate credit profile. Love that so much. Well, really, really thorough, Ty. So I appreciate that. So let's say I'm looking to start an online Amazon business selling whatever. I want to buy $50,000 worth of products and I've never owned a business. I've never had a business, but this is kind of my end all be all. This is what I see myself doing. Is it possible to get business credit to buy that? Sure it is, but you have to be realistic and patient. And that's what it comes down to is that I see a lot of people that say, hey, okay, I need the money tomorrow. I say, okay, no problem. What kind of collateral do you have? I say, I have collateral. Well, how's your credit? Well, my credit's bad. Well, do you have cash flow? No. Well, <laughs> would somebody give you $50,000 in? So you can get money right away if you have a lendable strength. If you lack collateral, cash flow, and credit, then there is no easy, fast way to get money unless you go get a guarantor, go get money from family, friends, et cetera. So business credit's a process. It's going to take you five months or three to six months to get to a point where you're going to have 50000 to be able to use. You have to get into it knowing it's a process, but then also accept the fact that it's the fastest way to get the money if you can't get an immediate loan. So you could definitely do what you're wanting to do. It's just going to take, to get 50000 in physical cash credit, it's going to take you probably six months. If the supplies and stuff you need, you can go to Amazon or you can go to Costco and Sam's Club. You're going to get that kind of credit probably in two to three. 
And how relevant is your business plan when applying for business credit such as that? Your business plan is pretty much worthless in almost any situation. You're looking for money, realistically, because look, the truth is that anybody that's ever run a business will tell you that a plan is crap. It really is. Nothing ever goes according to plan. Most of the stuff you think is going to be easy is hard. Most of the stuff you think is going to be hard ends up somewhat being easy. And it's not a matter of what really matters in entrepreneurship is just how do you handle that? How do you handle that adversity? When things don't go your way, how well are you then problem solving to find a solution? And so that's what people want. People that invest in businesses, the way I explain it is, and I've spent my life, I've spent 17 years in financial services. And I can tell you that this is the biggest misconception that borrowers have. Borrowers think they should be judged on what they intend to do. But the reality is, is that lenders and credit issuers judge you based on what you've already done. And it's the easiest way to really explain it. A business plan is a reflection of what you intend to do. Fantastic. Nobody cares what you plan on doing. What they care about is how well have you handled past adversity. You know, so that's what it really comes down to. Will a business plan be needed when you go into an SBA loan and stuff like that? Yeah. Years down the road, it's going to become important. Might it become important if you're looking for venture capital? Yes. But do you really have a venture capitalist that's willing to sink money in your business? Maybe if you have a really good product that you have a patent on. But again, what everybody's most concerned about is you as the owner and how you're going to handle things, not necessarily your plan, but your past really is the best reflection of, of how you've handled adversity. One other question as it relates to that realm, what is the weight, would you say, of personal relationships? Would that, would that, would that help in any way? Not in a lot of cases with lending. It used to. My dad was vice president of a bank and he, he always tells me stories of a good old boy farmer that came in and came in and you know, with a handshake said he'd pay the money back and he did. But it just doesn't work that way anymore. Nowadays, computers make most of the decisions for us. And so the better thing to do is to understand how the computers work and to basically set yourself up and basically craft and build what they want to see. And that's a lot of what we do is we talk about, we help our clients come in and do that, build that strong lendable foundation, and then build the business credit report and score. And now it's kind of like a checklist. When lenders and credit insurers go to issue you money, then is your business credible? Does your name reflect high risk? No, it doesn't. Do you have a business phone? Yes. Do you have this? What's your business credit score is good? How many trade lines do you have? 10. Then it's just a checklist. And when you get those things checked off, that's how you get approved. So personal relationships, just, they're just not that great. I've got a great relationship with my banker, but whenever I need something, it's like that bank as a structure as itself just doesn't do it. So no matter how good my relationship with her is, she can't do it, especially with big banks because they're government insured. They, by law, have to be conservative with their risk, and business lending inherently is very risky. So that being said, personal relationships and who you know that can maybe give you money, that can matter. But having a good real personal relationship with the bank, in a lot of cases, you're not going to defy their guidelines just because of that relationship. Ty, you've been on Forbes, you've been on Fox, you've been on ABC, and you've been able to give away these seven secrets for getting approved for a business loan, even with challenging personal credit. And that's kind of how I want, I want to shape the next, the next few minutes of our conversation. So if you could kind of break down some of these secrets that'll help some of the listeners out there, even with challenged personal credit, get approved for a business loan. Well, you've already talked about a lot of them, the foundational elements, making sure you set up that business credibly. The other thing that you really need to know is that, again, loans are issued based on a business strength. So if credit isn't your strength, then you go to where your strengths are, which is cash flow and collateral. 
And that opens up all kinds of loan options. If you have a 401k or stocks or no other people around you that can't that do, you can get 5% interest rate credit lines. If you have consistent revenue, you can get a $100,000 credit line just based on the revenue without even having a credit check with certain sources now. You can get account receivable financing if you have receivables or purchase order financing to fulfill purchase orders or equipment financing with bad credit as well. There's so many. Those are just some of off the top of my head of programs that work really well. Revenue lending, merchant cash advances based on your revenue. So the way that I best explain it is set up your business credibly. That's a large part of getting approved for credit and loans. And then you have to ask yourself what's your strengths. Know that there's only three that matter. Collateral, cash flow, and credit. So the question is, do you have any of those? If the answer is no, then you need to look around you at people that do. Maybe you don't have stocks, but maybe grandpa does. Maybe potential business investor does. Maybe mom does and wants to invest in the business. Maybe you don't have good credit, but maybe a relative or a family member does that wants to invest in the business or back you and you can use their credit as a guarantor. If you don't have any of those, don't have guarantors or other people around you that are willing to use it or, or do, then business credit's your only option. If business credit's the only solution where you can get money for a business, regardless of cash flow, credit, and collateral. And know that even if you can get a loan based on cash flow, credit, or collateral, you really still need to build your business credit because whether you get approved, the rates and terms you'll pay, even how much you get approved for, is in large part, in a lot of cases, determined based on your commercial credit quality. Definitely, definitely. So we'll, we'll leave our listeners with this. What are some things that now that we've been approved for business credit, we've actually gotten the business credit and we started spending the business credit. What are some things that get some entrepreneurs in trouble that business credit? Because once you have the credit, it's it's one of those things to where, of course, this is money that you owe back. And a lot of people, like you said, they don't they don't really exactly run the numbers. They don't really know exactly how and when they're going to be able to pay this back. So what are some some things that you see that have gotten people in trouble and some things we should watch out for? I think Mark Cuban says something along this line about how people are just morons if they try to get a loan to start a business. And the reason he refers to that is because you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Nothing's going to go like you think it is. And chances are really good. You're going to default on the loan. And you don't want that to happen. So you have to spend responsibly. And that's the thing is that when I look at companies that get venture capital, they just spend money at a level that people that are actually bootstrapping a business just never would. Because the bootstrapper understands that you do something, you wait for it to pay for itself, and then you do something else. And people that get venture capital just do a bunch of stuff. Some of it works, some of it doesn't, and they're losing money for years. So you just have to keep in mind that even though the money's available, you don't want to use any more than you have to. Build your business credit. The reason for that is because don't go below a loan or a credit line on stuff that you could use, get at Staples and Dell and Apple. Use the commercial credit cards to pay for the stuff that you can and leave the loan and credit lines available when you actually need physical cash to make payroll and things like that. Watch what you know, set a budget and set reasonable expectations and don't overspend and make sure you pay your bills as agreed. In the business credit world, scores are primarily based just on how you pay, unlike in the consumer FICO world. So make sure you always pay your bills on time or early. That's really the key to getting good business credit scores. Love it. Love it. Well, Ty, in closing this segment of the show, what are your goals now? We've talked about your before the minister, but what are your goals now? What, what are you currently doing and where do you see your business in the next five years? We're on our way. I think we could build a $100 million business in the next five years. And I think that with our growth and, and the percentage of growth that we're experiencing and, and what we're doing at such a rapid pace, I think we're going to accomplish it. So when it comes to a business goal, that's my big five-year goal that's driving everything else that comes under it. 
And in doing so, it's just a matter of making business credit more mainstream. We're doing a lot of things to make it more available to more business owners. And that's a big part of my mission. Like I said, I just think people should have a choice. I lost everything in my life that meant, you know, that material things, the money, the, the, the security, because I didn't know about business credit. I just want everybody to have a choice. If you know about it, you can choose whether to get it or not, but at least you have a choice. I didn't really have a choice and didn't know about it. So that's always been my mission is to spread as many people as possible about what business credit is, how it works, and give everybody the choice of jumping in and taking advantage of it. So that's really where I'm headed for the next five years. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite before the millions book? There's a book called The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. That's an old book to me, and I must have read that thing so many different times. So that's that's by far my favorite book. Although there are a lot of good books. I'm an avid reader that I could recommend. There's Cash Advertising is a great book too, Cash Advertising. And there's another book called Confessions of the Pricing Man. And it's just a really weird but really cool book that was made a big impact to me in my business. So those are, I know you asked for one, but it's hard to pick one as many books as I read that I like. I love it. I love it. I love it. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Oh, man. I have a, a great one called Simple Habit, which is great for meditation. And Simple Habit's great to be able to do long meditation or just five-minute meditations. Science has proven that these little meta, these little breaks that you have, these micro breaks, really mean a lot for success. So I think being able to clear your mind and calm your mind during the day or whenever it is you choose to meditate is important. So Simple Habit's one of the ones I'm checking out right now. Although probably one of my favorite apps on my phone is called Waze, which is W-A-Z-E. And that's just because I have a lead foot and it, it's like a driving app that tells me where all the police are. So that one's helped me quite a bit in my life. So those are those are two that I use quite a bit. Definitely. People keep telling me about the Waze app. I may have to download it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic, especially if you speed. But it also tells you where traffic is. It's, just, it's, it's awesome. You enjoy it. Okay. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? I'm really blessed and, and I wake up every day and I, and I don't take that for granted. My wife gets to stay home all the time and be with our kids all the time. She spends most of her day at our kids' school. She's part of parent group. She's the room parent of their class. So coming from that being the driving factor from a kid of why I'm in business, that's important to me to have one parent home all the time. And that's her choice, not mine. I would never force her to. There's some things that she likes to do with Rodean Fields and some other things that she gets a chance to do, but she likes that as well. So 
I love being able to work so she can be home to always be there for our kids. And I love the ability to come and go in the business now and be able to be there for my kids as well. I mean, that's why I got here. So I can break free and pick them up and go to their soccer matches and their gymnastics meets. And I get a chance to do all the stuff as a kid. I said I would do when I had kids. And it's really, really, really been an awesome experience. So I just like the freedom that running a business gives me the ability to do. I mean, I just think that that's cool to be able. So for me, it's, it's, all, it's all around family. It's all just around my ability. Do what I love here, which is awesome that my wife allows me that opportunity to do what I love. And then to be able to spend time with my family when I'm not here doing what else I love. So it's pretty cool. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? This is an interesting thing that I learned along the way as well, is that setting goals is important and setting boundaries is equally as important. And I think that that's the key to success is, is it's one thing to say, I want this, but then you have to set boundaries of what you're willing to sacrifice to get those things. And I think that those boundaries are very important. When you start a business, you need to expect to have no free time. You need to expect to work all day, spend maybe an hour, two hours with your family. And you need to be expecting that when they go to bed, you're going to still go back to work. And that's it. There's no whining. It, it is the lifestyle. And eventually, as you grow the business and you have more people handle your roles, you have more flexibility. But that's one of the sacrifices. Is initially, you sacrifice a lot of time. And even now, you sacrifice a lot of time. So I think sacrifice of time is always the hardest for me because I only have so much of it. So in growing a business, that's always going to be the bigger sacrifice, but you sacrifice it, especially in the beginning years, and you need to know that that's it. You're not going from a nine to five job to work a nine to five building your business. You're going to be in at six, seven. It never stops. Even the things I do outside of work are for the purpose of becoming a better entrepreneur. The meditation, the exercise, the healthy. I don't do that as much for myself. I do it to be the best at what I do. And so it just never stops. So it takes quite a bit of sacrifice. It's really a whole life change to be successful in business. Well said, well said. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? My parents were really important to me in my life. They, they really instilled work ethic into me. And now I had three jobs in high school and it's not because I needed to. My parents would pay for any of the things I needed, but I liked it. I liked the idea of working and being able to make money. So my parents have really been an essential part of my life. And then I have my own personal mentors as well that have helped me through different stages of this process. It's scary being a business and the more successful you get, the scarier it gets because I haven't had a lot of people around me that are above the level I am. So I don't know how to navigate through the minefields I deal with with day to day. So I really am self-reliant on education to be able to teach me a lot of those things. But my parents have really been the most important rocks in my life. And, and the, the standards that they've set have really helped guide me both as a parent and as a husband and, and also as a business owner as well. Amazing. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? It's interesting. I recently, I've looked at my life and realized that the biggest successes happen at the tail end of failures. And then I really started to evaluate that and realize that what happens is 
you say what you want in life, you set these goals, you put these goals out in the universe. And then what happens with us is we kind of tend to, to not want to make the sacrifice to get to those goals. So we might say we want to make a million dollar business, but then if given a choice of going out with our friends or working on the business, we go out with our friends. And eventually what happens is life will knock you down. And if you keep telling life that that's what you want, it will force your hand with catastrophes and disasters to force you to take action. You will never take action the way you will if your back is against the wall. And life will give you the chance to voluntarily make the sacrifices you need to make to get what you've done, what you say you want done. But if you don't make those sacrifices, life will not give you a chance. It will just put really devastating things in your way. Your back gets against the wall and then you have to fight to excel. So that's what I think is I think that people say they want some things, but then they really don't take actions or aren't willing to make sacrifices in accordance with what they want. And so that's where you need to set goals and set boundaries. And then once you have your goals and boundaries set, then you can work in accordance with your own beliefs. And then you're going to have the smoothest path to success. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Hopefully you've gained as much insight as I have from Ty's life, from sales to personal credit to business credit, and now living the ultimate lifestyle design dream. I'm loving it. So Ty, if the listeners kind of want to reach out to you and learn a little bit more about you or your business or business credit, where can they find all that information? We have a great guide on building business credit. It gives that foundational steps. It goes in more depth into all the steps. It's at creditsuite.com forward slash EIN. So that's creditsuite.com forward slash EIN. And it's a great guide that maps out the exact steps to build business credit. This has been spectacular, Ty. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your Before the Million story. Hopefully we'll get you back on for part two and we'll learn how to obtain a million dollars in business credit or, or something, something crazy, right? But thank you again and we'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.